Welcome back to Design Huddle, a podcast for creative professionals looking to level up. This podcast is hosted by myself, Ryan Warner, a UX designer based in New York City, and my co-host, Brendan Gross, a digital strategist for Fortune 500s. This podcast is the intersection of design, business, people, and just possibly the next big idea. We interview designers, thought leaders, co-founders, influencers, and sometimes just our friends from Instagram. If you like design, the internet, or storytelling, this just might be your new favorite podcast. We have a ton of incredible episodes and content coming out soon, so please subscribe. And for now, let's dive in to today's episode of Design Huddle. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Design Huddle. This is your boy Ryan and Brendan coming at you guys with another amazing, amazing podcast episode talking about the five main ingredients of UX. This podcast, everyone knows about design, design best practices. We interview people, but today we're going to get back to our roots. We're going to talk about how to become a better UX designer. So when we when we think about UX, we really want to talk about the process. Um, we interview a lot of people on Design Huddle talking about their process, what they've learned, and they usually drop some serious gems on how you can get better in your own career. So today we're going to talk about some things that Brendan and I focused on and really the five ingredients to become a, U, a successful UX designer. So I think about this in five categories, as I mentioned. Um, the psychology, the usability, design, copywriting, and analysis. So we'll thread these together and talk a little bit about how these five things can make better digital experiences and make you a more effective leader and designer. But before we get in, Brendan, how are you, man? What's new? I'm feeling good. I've been thinking a lot about recently. I don't know. Guys, this is a quick segue just because I feel like it. I'm a little scared about the internet right now. Ooh. And reason being these deep fakes, man. Yeah, I've seen a little I've seen a little bit about this. Uh it's crazy. The the technology is at a crazy, crazy time, but the deep fake movement is insane. And if you guys don't know what that is, look it up. It's literally they they I'm not being conspiracy theorists here, but whoever uses this program that basically can pull anybody's face and put it on somebody else's is like AI that can basically spread fake news like nobody else's yep. business. Granted, it's funny as shit, but I know as soon as they, because, you know, me and Ryan about to be famous. No, JK. <laughs> yeah, no, but it's, it's so the, the, it's, the way that it, it's done is it's a technique for human in, image like synthesis. So it uses AI and it basically can like realistically make a video that make like so if Brendan said something like um I don't know like some controversial conspiracy theory and it would it would look like to the average everyday consumer like he was supporting some crazy idea when in fact it's just you know technology spoofing what his actual beliefs are 
So, like, this technique is very new. It uses, like, machine learning, which is, like, a fancy way of saying, like, computers get smart by giving them, you know, a bunch of inputs. They can get smarter about identifying what's the appropriate output. Um, I'm not an ML engineer or expert by any sense, but deep fakes are are literally the fake news movement plus deep fakes is a very uh it's a crazy time for the for the web and and news in general yeah so to put it simply imagine this you're at home you're chilling you're you're at thanksgiving or whatever it is that you're celebrating and somebody shows your mama a photo of you saying fuck you mom but it wasn't you this was this could have been done by a deep fake. You're like, mom, hold on. We got technology that can, you know, yeah, Jimmy it, made it, that it, shit. It wasn't me. And you sound, <laughs> and when you describe deep fakes to someone that doesn't have context, you kind of sound like you're crazy. You're kind of like, it wasn't me, but it obviously there's a video of you saying it and it's you and it looks like you, but it's not you. It's insane. So yeah, the, like I, I, uh, I'm hoping they can figure out a way to like, you know, be able to detect whether or not it's a deep fake, but this is the issue with with great power comes great responsibility. So it's just we need to be thoughtful about how we're using technology for good, and also figuring out ways to you know mitigate and reduce bad actors from creating content like that. But yeah, I agree. I've been reading a lot about it. I think it's just insane. And the word deep fake comes from deep learning and faking the the person's you know appearance. That's the breakdown of deep fake. So I didn't know we were going to get into deep fake, Brendan, but I'm glad we did. <laughs> I always have I always have something in the deep region of my back yeah, pocket I, for the I, po- love it. I, I wait for Fridays to just splurge all my insecurities and uh what I'm worried about. Yeah, I mean that that's that's big. I mean deep fakes are, are no no joke. The other thing which we might need to do an episode on is robocalls. You know what robocalls are? Yes. Robocalls is when you get all of that spam nonstop on your phone. I I think i get 10 to 15 spam calls a day it is insane how much spam i get what you signing up for no, on the internet but Ryan? i think it's the kind of thing where it's like once you're like how many how many big companies have gotten the data exposed i'm pretty sure like your phone number my phone number you know they're 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 out there so the thing that's crazy is that these robocalls are getting smarter so now they can spoof based off of your zip code so like if my zip if my number was 215 which is new york city It'll show you numbers from two one five. So as a user, as the owner of the phone, you're like, is this my is this my delivery guy? Is this my dry cleaner? Is this my like you know what I mean? Is this my friend? Is this just like a person from work? You don't know. So then you're picking it up and the next thing you know and they're selling you like a life alert or some bullshit ad that you don't want anything to do with. So it's just that 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 is just been incredibly frustrating and I really hope there's like more regulation around this because this is just like it is an absolute epidemic that is just it there's so much technology and energy going into it but it's just a terrible terrible use of everyone's time that's my that's my soapbox you got deep fakes I got robocalls they both suck so yeah to each their own. Yeah, maybe we should just do this. Is a new segment on Design Huddle called Dirty Laundry, where we just air out everything that we're we're not happy about. This podcast is more therapeutic than anything for Brendan and I. Yes. Um, let's just bring it back for a second for anyone that clicked and they want to know more about the five ingredients. So, as I mentioned before, the five main ingredients of UX: psychology, usability, design, copywriting, and analysis. So let's jump into the first one: the psychology. Everyone knows that when you're designing a product, users are complex, 
They have a lot of different expectations. They come from different backgrounds, use different interfaces, different experiences. So it's important to think about those users. So UXers work with both subjective and objective information to create the best possible product. And as designers, we have to also we also have to like bust our own uh, biases and assumptions. So you need to ask yourself a few questions. Some of which are like, what is the user's motivation? Why did they come to your Why did they come to your website? Um, how does it make them feel? Is a little bit fluffy, but at the same time, it's helpful to be like, if you come to your site and they feel like agitated or frustrated, you want to figure out why and fix that. It should be easy and simple to use whatever the experience is. Some other things, you know, what are the habits that you want to create? What 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 are their expectations? So if you have like when they come, they should have a very clear idea of what your, you know, your experience is all about. Um, if it's something that you want them to do again and you're trying to form a behavior, why do you want them to come back? How often do you want them to come back? So, you know, for Brendan and I, you know, as if we create, if we're, you know, we're in the process of building out a website for Design Huddle, our goal is to make the website as valuable as possible for our users. So they want to come back. They want to check the next episodes. They want to share. They want to interact with us. They want to be a part of our community. That's why we started this podcast. That's why we want to continue to grow it. Um, so the other thing that we think about is how are you rewarding good behavior? So good behavior can be rewarded in a lot of ways. For Brendan and I, we think that we produce very high quality content with some great experts all for free. We don't charge anyone. There's no paywall to get this content. Um, so yeah, what is what is what are you rewarding your users with for their behavior? So psychology is kind of a general way, but the main takeaway from this is is how can you put yourself in your users' shoes? So Brendan, I know I I I, I spoiled the let everyone know that the website's in the works. I don't know if you want to tell everyone a little bit about it, but I thought this would be a good idea to say, hey, Design Hunter listeners, we're thinking about you. We're building a central hub for everything that you love about Design Huddle. Yeah, guys, it's really in the beta beta phase. Which would right be known now. as the alpha. Well, I know it's okay. Well, my name starts with B, Brandon. There's beta. There is no that. alpha. Your name is R, second letter in my. I like beta beta better. I like the beta about the beta for the beta is actually, I like that. It's a kind of like inception. The alpha was the, the XD files, okay? Hashtag Adobe. There's a lot of things coming, guys. Um, Ryan probably won't sign off right now, but. In my mind, we're thinking big. We're thinking mentorship programs. We're thinking some paraphernalia. I want a fresh black design huddle hoodie. We, we, we got some things in the works, and we just want to let you guys know that those thousands of you who are listening, we know you're listening, and we're looking into being able to bring our content into more in one place. So not just your ears. We want your eyes, and we want your um, – scrolling fingers on our content but also in not just that but also how can we get you guys to engage in the community more than just consuming our yeah. content yeah i think that's a great great point right we want people like and we're talking about the psychology but like a lot of the psychology is like being able to have you know people could post their portfolios and people could give thoughtful feedback of how to make it better like there's a lot of ideas that we have i'm sure we'll start very wide cast a wide net and then start to really focus on what we want to do and then, you know, some ideas we'll probably end up doing and some ideas we'll probably put on the back burner. But um, we're very we, we always are anything that we do on Design Huddle. It's always based off of like people's DMs, feedback, Brendan and I being reflective after listening to an episode. So that's kind of the, the psychology approach is just putting yourself, your users first. So the next point 
Uh, is usability. Usability is pretty straightforward, right? It should be, it should make an experience should be easy to use. It should be clear. It should be concise and it shouldn't be confusing. So you should ask yourself, could you get the job done with less input from the user? This is a, an easy thing that we do, but we tend to over ask users for stuff. Stop, stop with the optional fields. Stop asking people for their fax number. This is 2019. So only ask people for the stuff that you actually need to complete the experience. The one example here is like, stop asking people for an email to start browsing your experience. They shouldn't have to sign up for something just to view your website and understand what you're all about. So that's just one quick hint. But um, other things is like, is there common places where users make mistakes? Um, are you being clear and direct? Or are you trying to be too witty? Is your humor getting lost? These are things that people tend to do sometimes and they overthink the experience by trying to be funny when something's actually not that funny. Um, it's also easy to find good but hard to miss um, or subconsciously expected um, you know, for the user. And the, the last piece is, are you working with the user's assumptions or against them? So these are some things that like questions I ask, I ask myself whenever designing a product. Um, but the number one thing is that if user doesn't understand the fine print, does it work? Does it make sense? Um, and does it work for a diverse set of users is some things to think about on the usability front. But the main, the TLDR here is do less, um, be thoughtful about the content that you're publishing and really make sure that you're following, you're, you're adding value to a user as much as possible. So that's my, that's my piece on usability, Brendan. What did I miss? You didn't miss anything. I, I think for those of you guys, a lot of you guys who listen to Design Huddle are very fresh out into college or looking to either change careers or whatnot. A big question I get is, Brandon, we're good on the UI side, but how do I usability test what it is that I designed? You can practice any of these usability, any of these psychology sort of things with family, friends. It's all about getting feedback and adjusting accordingly. So I just wanted to lay that out here. Everything that we've gone through, making sure that there's no friction in your application, what it is that you're testing. Again, to put it simply, the way that you design, get feedback, and adjust is just by asking other people, and if you're really in the, in the in a place where in your career where you can actually find the correct people, your customer to give that feedback, that's perfect. But if you're just trying to get into your career and you're trying to showcase that you've run these sort of tests, find who you can to give that feedback. I, I agree. I mean, the first two points is all about like it's your people skills, right? Like, are you good at talking to people, understanding their expectations and listening? We talk about this all the time. Early, early designers, early UI designers, the best designers out there are phenomenal listeners. They just listen to problems, they process, they synthesize, and then they ultimately come up with solutions. So the next one we'll go quickly through. It's obviously design. As a UX designer, your definition of design will be much less artistic than a lot of designers. So Brendan mentioned UI designers, which tend to be graphic designers. They make things look beautiful. But whether you like it uh, is, is is irrelevant. In UX design, it's how it it works. And it's something you can prove. It's not a matter of style. So, you know, how it works is also there's data points to justify that. If you're a finance company and you're trying to get people to sign up for your service, it's how many people signed up because you were able to sell them through the website. Or how many products did you sell? Or how many people did you help by giving them an article that they got value from? So there's a lot of different ways to think about this, but that's one in particular. Some questions to think about as, you know, to ask yourself when thinking about the design is, do users think this looks good? 
Do they trust it immediately? Um, does it communicate the purpose and function without words? Does it represent the brand you're trying to get across? Does it feel like the same experience in the site that they know? Does the design lead the users to the right place? How do they think? How do they interact with it? Do the colors, shapes, typography um, help people find and you know basically all the details that they're looking for? So UX, we've talked about this a million times on this podcast. It's the end-to-end. It's doing the details, all of those little things right to tweak, fine-tune, so you have this smooth experience from start to finish. So Brendan is a phenomenal UI designer. Um, You'll see that soon enough with the launch of our new website. But I think it's important for UX designers. You have to be a great UI. You have to make things look visually beautiful, but it's more importantly... Does it work? Does it solve a problem? Does it address a user's needs? Because if it does those things, then you're going to be successful. So, uh, yeah, Brendan, anything, anything? I'd love to hear your perspective because you have a very strong visual, visual design background. You be, have become a great strategist and obviously a very, you know, sought after UX designer. How did you transition from a UI designer to a UX designer, and what are some things that you gave have given more thought and educated yourself on more? What we play in in this industry is a very large spectrum. When somebody says they're a designer, a lot of things can go into it. They could be focused on uh, purely research. They can be focused on purely the aesthetics. They can be focused on specifically conversion optimization. It's just I'm looking at Ryan playing with the hanger right now. But anyway, I'm distracted. Between the two of us, I feel like we get distracted easily. So It's the creative mind, guys. Just just feel for me. (laughs) Empathize. So with design, going back to we're in a very large category and going back to a very big question we get a lot is where do we start? Just know, start with something. The design field has so many nooks and crannies from what I just mentioned. Again, very big buckets are design, UI design, which is just the aesthetics. UX can be defined as um, research heavy or you're in the analytics side of things. And then you're talking to different people who deal with both. And then there's, you know, some people who just call themselves conversion rate optimization officers or however. Th- there's so many things. But anyway. When it comes to learning these, anything that we're talking about here today, pick one avenue, find a reputable either us, because we'll be talking about, uh, I think another thing is specific things that you can start learning to actually get hired within. Pick something, whether it's the aesthetics, the research, or the analytical side of design, and just learn what it takes to get hired in those particular roles. Do not try to learn everything because then you will not get hired. Learn one thing really well, get your foot in the door then start to work with the people who are in those other avenues, learn what it takes to work with those people and start branching out your T skills. But you have to go deep first into a particular talent to get hired. I, I think we say that a lot, right? Like keep stacking skills, be experts. Um, and then it's always, you can always, uh, there tends to be someone like always smarter than you in the room, but it's the people that can be a sponge and soak up and learn from those people that sets you better up in your career. So, um, yeah, I think those are great points, Brendan. So bring in the last two, uh, second to last copywriting. So we, Brendan and I talk about this a ton. I've done, um, an episode explaining, uh, UX writing and copywriting and how to be more effective at it when, you know, creating copy for a website, but there's a huge difference between writing brand copy, which is text and writing UX copy. Brand copy supports the image and the values of the company. UX copy helps get shit done as directly and as simply as possible. So being a good UX copy is being 
very clear on how a user can progress in a process. One very obvious example is having a clear call to action. So a clear call to action button is like sign up now. So typically a call to action buttons should always have a strong verb in the description. So things that you consider when you're copywriting, ask yourself, does it sound confident and tell the user what to do? Does it motivate the user to complete their goal? Is the biggest text the most important? We have a great episode talking about the importance of headers. People scan, they don't read contact, they don't read the details. So headers are crucial to good UX. Does it inform the user? Does it reduce anxiety? Does it is it is it a wall of text where they're overwhelmed by how much text and images there is? Or is it simple? Is it clear? Are you using white space effectively? And lastly, the most important is in good copywriting, is it clear? Is it direct? Is it simple? And is it functional? So I don't I, I know Brandon, we talk about this a ton, but I think we're both passionate about it because we hate websites that overdo it. And we love like more minimalist sites that just do a really good job of conveying a message with the least amount of words possible. So I know you're, you're, this is a big thing that you always have kind of uh, been passionate about. So what's your take on copywriting and writing good copy? Definitely look into conversion optimization in the language that is used into actually pushing a customer through based on their motivations of actually going to a platform. So literally go to Google, type in conversion optimization and look for just look at bj fog <laughs> god damn it yeah all right no. the last most important ingredient is analysis so in, in in my opinion most designers are not great at analysis they're visual people they don't like data they shy away from it but it's very easy to get yourself better with you know analysis it's not it's actually analysis in a lot of ways i think is like it energizes you because you can see the value of what you're creating. So like designers love seeing like, you know, how many impressions did you get? How many page views? How many people are currently on your site? This stuff energizes you as a designer and it kind of helps justify the work that you've done by showing some data to back it up. So um, analysis is the main thing that separates UX from other types of design. I don't care what you say. UX designers have to be good at analysis and a little bit of like, you know, using data to justify some decisions. Again, we always say this on Design Huddle. It's something that Brendan and I feel strongly about. Design should inform decisions. It shouldn't just be like, the data says to do this. That's what we're going to do. But it pays to be good at it. Good UXers that are good with data, they tend to make more money. So let's dive into some ways to think about the analysis. So number one, are you using your data to prove that you are right or to learn from the truth? That's important, right? There's a there's a personal element here that's you you just want to prove that your design makes you look good. But at the same time, you should take away that that mindset and think about more of your users. Other other things to think about. Are you looking at subjective opinions or objective facts? Leave the emotion at the door, let the data tell the story. Um, have you collected information that give you the right types of answers? Um, do you know why users do that? Or are you interpreting their behavior? Are you looking at absolute numbers or relative improvements? And the last ones I'd say is, are you looking at bad results? Sometimes you can get bad data that lead to bad decisions. So making sure you have clean data is important. Even if you're not an expert on it, work with someone else to help you make sure to validate that the information you're getting is helping you make the decisions you need to make. And the most important, I know I keep saying that, but this one is 
something that I really, really recommend is how can you use this analysis to make improvements? You could have thousands of rows in an Excel doc to you know explain um, all the data points of a web experience, but you need to be able to take that data and turn it into something actionable. An example that we've used before, bounce rate. If a lot of people are bouncing from a page or they're leaving the page, chances are there's something wrong with the page. It's too complicated. It doesn't make sense. It takes too long to load. There's issues. So identify pain points, use data to find pain points, and then make decisions to fix them. So we just went through the five main ingredients. Five main ingredients of UX are the following. Psychology, usability, design, copywriting, and we just talked about analysis. I think that does a really good job. If you have no idea what UX design is or you're you're a UI designer trying to get into UX, this podcast episode is everything that you need to think about in order to get yourself set up for success. Brendan, bring it home. What did I miss? I doubt I missed anything because I just am so unbelievably well-versed in this topic. Just to bring it home, is there anything that I missed in terms of things to think about? Um, I know analysis is like, uh, if I recall, this was not something that you gave a ton of thought in, but as you were transitioning to UX, you started to use data points to help you make more informed design decisions. Anything on this topic? I actually, you might actually disagree with this one. It it might even be. No, we're we're all about a healthy debate here at the same time. We don't have to agree on everything. So what do you got for me? When it comes to analysis, I've been a couple places and they call data a couple things. So there's customer data where you're doing, whether it be usability, remote usability tests, or you're in the room with these people. And then there's the actual analytical data, which is depending on how you tagged up your website. Again, it's prone to human error because of how, you know, whatever was tagged. And then you're looking at the data like, oh, these people dropped off. And then you're assuming as to why you were thinking people may have dropped off. So we have to use different analytics together. So for instance, like we talked about here, if on your website, it's showing a bounce rate on a certain area on your, in a user flow, that is when you would bring in, in my opinion, or really do customer research or uh, usability tests around that area to figure out the reason behind the drop. Yeah, and and, and, some, and sometimes it's obvious, right? Where it's like sometimes the page just doesn't load. Like if there's a 404 error, there's going to be a massive bounce rate. So like there's there's sometimes it's obvious, but I agree that like getting a gut check and a pulse from the users to see why they're struggling is always a good a good recommendation. All right, so we're on the same page there because yeah, I've been no, places I, where they're like, bring in the people. A, it's a good, it's a good point. <laughs> bring them in. It's a good point. I mean, the only thing with that is, is sometimes when you bring in people, uh, it's sometimes it's not a diverse group, a diverse representation of the site or your user base. So sometimes you can get like bad data or bad interviews making help that make decisions. So it's just making sure that if you are interviewing people, that it's not just one person with a strong opinion. It's a diverse set of voices that accurately reflect who your target audience is. Those are the main, those are the five main ingredients of UX. Wait, I got one more. Brandon's got a bonus, bonus round. Well, it's on the, it's on the same thing. So what do you think about, because I've been in situations where rather than the, the data of nothing's linked up, no analytics to the page and the people who are responsible for or making the decisions on how the digital experience should go, they're like, these pages suck. I don't like them. Bring in the people so we can user test them. What do you think about that situation? I think it just depends. I think it's like all situational. So 
I would have to like as a good UX designer, I'd have to have more information before I make that decision. That was that the, was the right answer. That sucks. was a trick question. The question, <laughs> trick question is do more digging to find objective and subjective information in order to you know make that decision. But so how would you persuade? Like, say I'm that I'm your executive or whoever's making that decision. I'm like, yo, Ryan, this page sucks, or these pages suck. We need to bring in customers to help us user test for whatever's wrong with this. I mean, it, I think for me, it would be like the data point has to be super significant. Is the bounce rate 10% or is it 90%? And the other thing is, is that um, design, good design is iterative, right? So I would start by looking internally and just asking people that are experts on the site saying, what do we think? Uh, it's pretty easy to make changes on a website quickly, run a week test, two week test, three week test, keep changing things. If by a month, uh, the designers, the product managers, the marketing folks, and just you know other people at the company, they can't figure it out, then I'd probably bring in customers to figure it out. The other thing is, is that if this is that much of an issue and it's causing this much resources, chances are this entire process or step in the process needs to be totally rethought. So it's also a cost benefit analysis where you can't put in too much effort without getting the results that you expect. So a lot of this all comes down to context and are you taking the correct steps um, before you're bringing in and paying people to come in and get their experience. So yeah, I think it, the biggest thing is, is like um, don't uh, over, don't uh, over index on one data point. It's to also slowly start to tweak the experience and test. This is why we get into AB testing, you know, making a slight variation to the site and seeing which ones perform better. Chances are slight variations will help you point you in the right direction. So yeah, I mean, that's my, gen that's my general take, but um, the main takeaway from this, all this, like this, this dialogue, which I think is great is analysis is really important. A lot of visual designers skip it. They don't like it because it's data and they don't want it to get into the weeds on it, but it really is a, an incredible skill to have. It's not difficult to develop. Um, just get more comfortable with looking at like, you know, the performance of a website. And also it just shows you like, it's also a pat on the back to say like, how many people checked out my site in the last week, the last month, the last year? That's what should energize you as a designer, helping more people get things done and more people getting experience, exposure to a brand that you're representing or building a product, you know, building a website for. So yeah, that's it. That's it. Does that help, Brendan? That works perfectly. I love it. Reason being is because if you don't have enough data, get more data to make a more a better informed decision. If you don't have analytics, come up like and the reason I wanted to bring this up is because I feel like not even I feel, I know there's situations where whether you're an agency or whatnot where there's not enough resources to do a full blown uh correct usability test and some people are just like, Oh, these pages suck. We need to do X, Y, and Z to them. And I think whether you do the change or not, there's other ways either before or after the change to say, okay, a B we didn't get to do upfront usability tests, but we can A B test this in the back end to see if what we did performed or not, rather than just doing a change. So I just wanted to, to put that situation out there so that other people listening to this can know that even though there's no upfront usability research usability research, et cetera, there's ways either before or after the change to be made to figure out if your change was impactful or not. Yeah, let's just bring it back real quick. So main takeaways, again, we just talked about the five ingredients. Hopefully you guys found this episode interesting. 
If you're not doing so yet, follow Brendan at Brendan Gross. Follow myself at Ryan Warner on Instagram. Check out some of our other episodes. Tell us what you think. We have a ton of awesome influencers and thought leaders and just really cool people that we have uh, queued up uh, for some future episodes. But thank you guys for tuning in. We really appreciate it. We will catch you on the next episode of Design Huddle. Peace! (laughs) Peace. Design Huddle is a podcast that is hosted by Ryan Warner and Brendan Gross. The opinions stated here are our own and not those of our company. Thank you for tuning in and please feel free to share this episode.